Welcome back to Fishnets and Philosophy. This is your host, Mick Spell Morgan, and I am joined by the wonderful Ava Hennessy. So if you could introduce yourself, Ava, maybe what your pronouns are, kind of how you identify, and just anything else that you'd like people to know about who Ava is. Um, hello, I'm Ava. My pronouns are she, her. Um, I am a pole dancing instructor, a show producer, stripper, and I'm originally from Ireland, but living in the UK for maybe a year and a half. Fabulous, fabulous, perfect. Um, so yeah, kind of jumping right in. Uh, that's kind of how I came to discover who you are was through your own show that you host, the Taboo Pole Show, which is a fantastic event for people who don't know about it. Currently an online event, as most things are at the moment. <laughs> Hopefully at some point you'll be able to be back to doing in-person events. But uh, as you said, you're a pole instructor, stripper. And I think the first question that I kind of wanted to jump into, which seems to be kind of very prevalent at the moment and um, but basically if you could kind of like because I know that you're very vocal especially on your Instagram and other social media about you know sex worker rights and what's happening to sex workers and particularly in the UK at the moment as far as I'm aware it's cities like Blackpool and Bristol where there's basically the livelihood of sex workers is kind of being threatened with the clubs potentially being closed down. So I'm wondering if you know, kind of jumping off at the fun place first, if you could kind of like go into a bit more as to what's kind of happening on the ground there that you know of, like why is it that they're wanting to close the clubs down? Is it just general anti-sex work or is there something that they're saying, this is why we want to close it down? Um, from what I can gather online, from what I've read myself, I am very new to the UK, so I'm not mm-hmm. really familiar with a lot of these um, groups of people. But from what I can see, there is a group um, that their goal, like if you go on their website, they're called the White Ribbon. Their goal is to end violence towards women and stuff like that. But I mean, I feel like they're using it as an excuse to try and close the clubs because Mm -hmm. there's no statistics or no research that shows that uh, strip clubs promote violence towards women and the clubs have actually been closed for the majority of the pandemic so it's like if there is harassment or violence happening towards women then it can't be because of the clubs but in my own opinion I feel like there's always going to be groups of people that don't like sex work and they don't like sex workers. And maybe it's, you know, for a lack of knowledge or some people might be ignorant or their values are just different 
or their morals are different. And I feel like because the clubs are already struggling, they've been closed for so long, they've had to keep paying their rent. I think they've seen this as a good opportunity to try and keep them closed Mm. because they know that the clubs are struggling already. But yeah, that's just my own take on it. I think it's absolutely ridiculous. And it's um, it's very condescending to hear people say things like, oh, we're going to help these women find, you know, different jobs and get them into the, you know, like industries like working as waitresses or working in bars. And it's like no one asked for that. I mean, the people that work in these clubs are able to make their own decisions and they should be allowed that choice. And it's just it's kind of like no one is listening to the people that work there and they're just pulling all of these statistics and false information and running with it so yeah no 100 and also just on that as well and um, from what i can gather from most of the sex workers that i interact with sex work has given people a better quality of life than any retail or waitressing job ever has so it's just yeah it's like and also as well we want to save these women by just removing sex work and making it possible to do sex work safely but we're not going to actually tackle the systems in place that cause poverty <laughs> like it's mm-hmm. just kind of on that that's kind of like one of the questions that like I had and I'm wondering if like what you kind of think but basically like for me where I'm kind of coming from like I think that the reason a lot of SWERFs um for those who don't know what the acronym means it means sex worker um, exclusionary radical feminists um, or I was actually on TikTok and I heard another term which is actually farts which is fem- <laughs> feminist appropriating radical twats so I think that one's kind of nicer yeah <laughs> I like, like that you know, one <laughs> <laughs> I do like that one but like for me I think the reason that there isn't any focus on dismantling the systemic issues that cause poverty is because the a lot of the time the women that are like advocating for removing sex work are people who already have privileges from the systems in place they tend to be kind of cisgender white middle to upper class women so do you think would you agree in the sense that like the reason they don't want to actually tackle poverty is because poverty makes and better <laughs> yeah I mean that's something that I think is a very real thing um I think sex work puts power into a lot of people's hands um especially people that you know are working class or disabled or mm-hmm. you know it's just I mean there's so many different types of people in sex work but I think that like I do agree with what you said it's and it's really disgusting to think about that these um, women like you say or men who are Mm -hmm. in places of a lot of privilege get this notion that they don't like something so they want to completely shut it down and they don't listen to the voices of the people in the industry and I mean they must know that like working a job like working as a stripper you can obviously make a lot more money than you would working nine to five getting paid minimum wage Mm, yeah (laughs) and they must know that it's been um, a really good choice for a lot of people working class people Um, and even when I 
worked in my first club in Ireland, I met so many different types of people. And I met, you know, women that had kids and were studying full time. Mm-hmm. And instead of working evenings and weekends, they got to actually spend time with their family, make a good wage and study throughout the week. And don't get me wrong, not everyone like that is in the industry, but you also have survival sex workers who Mm -hmm. are in it because they need to be in it. They need that job for money. And it's just it's just really disgusting to me to think that, you know, they don't want to listen. And again, when you're that privileged and you've never had to be in a position to do a job like that, you mm-hmm. can be ignorant. You you know, like if someone's never do this for money or I could never do that for money, they've never been put in a position where they've had to do that for money or yeah. they've had to even consider doing something like that for money. So I think it's ignorance, but I think it's also a power thing. Yeah, no, 100%. And there's something kind of you touched on there, which is actually one of the kind of questions that I was thinking of asking was you said that you met like kind of so many different people when you were working in your club in the first club and clubs in general and like for me I think one of the reasons that strippers and sex workers overall are so heavily stigmatized is because mainstream society kind of only has this one image of strip clubs strippers sex workers in the sense that they kind of just have this one image of a creepy man taking advantage of a helpless damsel in distress a helpless woman when in fact like when it comes to sex work and strippers, it removes the nuance of the fact that there's queer people who are sex workers. There's queer strippers. There are also queer people who seek out sex workers, as in like... I'm, I'm a queer stripper, so they do ex- exist. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And like, as well, like, you know, you will have queer women who also enjoy getting lap dances from sexy other like women, you know? So it's like, there's this one image of what strip clubs look like and there are strip clubs that obviously fit into that bill but it's a lot there's a lot more nuance to it as in it's almost like ignores the fact that the majority of sex workers are queer people and particularly mm-hmm. queer people of color so would you agree in that sense that you think the reason that there is so much stigmatization is because there's just this one image of what a sex worker or a stripper looks like yeah definitely and, and don't get me wrong you touched on this those clubs and those environments do exist there are mm-hmm. clubs run by people who don't care about their staff or their dancers or you do hear stories of maybe younger dancers getting into the industry we're taking advantage of like mm. we have to be honest about these things that stuff yeah. does happen but then you have the flip side where you do have the clubs that are regulated and safe and you know they're proper businesses and I think because the industry has been so underground for such a long time, a big part of Mm. the industry is fantasy. So, and I think, you know, especially in a country like Ireland, let's say a man going to a strip club would have been a very shameful thing to do in in Catholic Mm -hmm. Ireland. So (laughs) it's kind of like no one really talked about it. And in the last few years, it has become a bit more um, glamorized because mm. you have people like Cardi B or other celebrities who come out and said they used to strip and they've been proud of it and the stripper aesthetic in itself everybody loves it you see it in fashion all the time the clear yeah. heels and the little bikinis and the long nails and stuff like that and it's like I think it's only recently that people are comfortable to come out and say yeah I have, I've done that as a job 
there's still such mm-hmm. a huge stigma but I feel like because of um social media and maybe music videos it's it is and tv shows it's a bit more glamorized and people are kind of mm-hmm. talking about it but definitely it's no one really knows unless you've been in a strip club before you don't know what it's like and that's mm-hmm. something that annoys me it's like how do you have such an opinion on something that you don't understand you've never gone as a customer you've never done it as a job so you know you wouldn't really know <laughs> exactly and I think of like any form of industry sex work is the one industry where people have opinions that have never mm-hmm. either been like uh sex worker themselves or like a purchaser buyer customer like they've never actually had any experience of the industry but they still have opinions on and actually there's something when you touched on there which I think is very prevalent and it's something that grinds my gears and I'm not even a sex worker so I can imagine for actual sex workers it's something that incredibly grinds the gears but it's the entire thing of with social media in the sense that all these social media platforms, whether it's Instagram, TikTok, any of those big ones, they basically use sex workers to get popular, as in they get traffic by using sex workers as well, OnlyFans as well, yes. But then the second they become big and popular, they throw sex workers to the side, under the bus, and then, yeah, like basically make it almost impossible for a sex worker to continue having a living. And like yeah it's just like where do you do how do you think we're going to have a shift away from that continuously happening like is there will there ever be a shift is it because of the fact that sex workers aren't being aren't part of the teams that design these applications like if that would ever happen I don't know but where like is it because of the general wider social stigma that this occurs or is it something kind of just specific to social media platforms well I think with social media the way that bigger platforms like Instagram or Facebook are run is they all have algorithms now so Mm. um and they have their guidelines but I do find that their guidelines are very hypocritical because yeah I mean I could post a picture of myself in a bikini tomorrow and if it gets reported or if the algorithm picks it up it could get deleted and it's like I've seen some horrendous stuff on social media I've seen people being bullied I've seen pages that promote pedophilia like I've seen some awful stuff that Mm -hmm. when I've reported these things it comes back as this doesn't go against community guidelines so I honestly do not understand (laughs) how the algorithm works or like what exactly like what guidelines they're reinforcing but um, it has a, a lot to do with um, the bill that Donald Trump passed in 2018, mm. FOSTA and SESTA, which was created yes. to try and stop um, sex trafficking and to help victims of sex trafficking. But in doing that, it's made it obviously um, illegal to advertise sex online. And because Instagram is an American platform, even though we're not in America we still have to abide by those rules and that bill in itself is it doesn't help it it doesn't do anything for victims of sex trafficking because it's still happening it's just harder to find it online now but you do have things like the dark web you know there are other ways but I I think that is one of the, the biggest reasons why there's been such a crackdown on sex workers um online but I really don't understand how it can be resolved besides people talking about it because there is power in numbers and I feel like when people don't talk about it or they don't care 
social media gets away with it and the more yeah. people talk about it um like uh i don't know if you followed blogger on poll follow blogger yes. on poll yeah. um i was um lucky enough to speak to her about uh, ways to help stop like the unfair deletion of sex worker accounts and shadow banning and stuff like that and she had um experience with speaking with instagram and facebook so mm. she started a petition um which was really successful and she has had some response from them but in the beginning they were just kind of like oh well we need proof that this is happening as if you don't know so yeah. <laughs> it was um Amory Davies, the Queen of Sexy, she created a poll for anyone that could just say how it's negatively affected them. Mm-hmm. And they got loads of feedback and loads of stories that was then sent to Instagram as physical proof. And now they're going to get back in touch again. But it's been months, so I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it feels like it's one of those things where they're just like, oh, yeah, of course we will. But they'll just continuously push it down the line because at the end of the day, they don't care. And especially mm-hmm. when they have like, they have the same rules, but they don't apply equally across the board in the sense that you can have a super famous celebrity like Kim Kardashian who can post the most revealing picture. And because of the fact that it gets high traffic, it allow, it's allowed to stay up there. But then you can have like a smaller sex worker that posts an exactly same type of image, but that will get taken down. And it's one of those things where it's like, if you're going to have community guidelines, at the end of the day, these are businesses, like as much as we want, we'd like to be able to be as free as we can. These are businesses that can set their own guidelines and we kind of have to agree to them. I get that, but they have to apply them the same way across the board, which they're not doing. And I think that's what really gets to a lot of people is the fact that it doesn't apply equally in the same sense that, and women or um, people with bigger bodies will have exactly pictures taken down reported but the exact same type of image of someone with this thinner body that's fine because again it's just creating this aesthetic of the ideal body of how people should look which is so so frustrating and it just feels like is there any kind of end to it but there's something that I actually want to kind of circle back to and you said that you've moved to the UK and um, and you also touched on the fact that in Ireland anything to do with sex is very shameful because Ireland is a very sex negative culture but in my opinion because of the influence of the Catholic Church over the years that's why I think it comes from but I'm wondering like have you noticed is there kind of like a different kind of cultural relationship between Ireland and the UK when it comes to sex and sexuality or is that sex negativity kind of pretty similar across the board? Um, I'm not really sure just because I am kind of in my own bubble when it comes to stripping like mm-hmm. I'm surrounded by so many sex positive people and yeah. other sex workers and then obviously like working in the club um but I I don't know like even telling people about my job I kind of I'm, I wouldn't say it straight away I'd have to get a feel for them and talk to them a bit and see like what their views are and values and stuff before I tell them but I do I do agree that um Ireland is so sex negative because of the hold that the Catholic Church had on it for so long and it's the Mm. same in any country that is very religious yeah Um, 
even when I was in school, I went to a Catholic school and I think I got sex education for the first time when I was 15 and we weren't allowed to be shown condoms because uh, it was like against the religion. So the woman that came in to teach us, she had to like draw them on the board. And <laughs> uh, yeah, it's just, like I just think that's one thing like anyone I talk to from Ireland who's had like I say had sex education because we never really get any it's really kind of the most rudimentary basically abstinence only so we don't really get sex ed but it's the same kind of issue across the board unless you're making a baby like that's all you really learn how to do or how to not make a baby which is just to not have sex and how to not get how to not get STDs which again is to not have sex like that was another part of the sex education we got was just like horrific pictures of like herpes and genital warts that had been left for months and months (laughs) that's just like seems so like barbaric like and it's yeah the sex negativity in Ireland is just yeah like it's just come on (laughs) it's sex it's a natural thing I know it's ridiculous it really is like and you know I I think as well um there needs to be earlier sex education but Mm -hmm. I mean it would be great to see education that represents different genders and different sexualities and you know realistic to what your life is like because like even for me I didn't come out until I was 21 I think and Mm -hmm. I actually I didn't know for a long time because I just didn't I didn't know anyone that was gay that was a, a woman. I only yeah. had gay friends that were guys. Mm. So, yeah, it would be good to see a change with that. And actually, just before I forget your question about England, um, I'm not sure about the views, but one thing I've noticed here is that the crowds that come into clubs are, you do get younger guys coming in. Like okay. my experience in Ireland is the only time you get younger <laughs> people coming in is like a stag party mm-hmm. but I have noticed that over here um you do get like younger men coming in as kind of like a night out and I think that does um I think it's just it's becoming more glamorized like that like mm-hmm. you know when you watch music videos and they're at the strip club and they're throwing me in that's something that's really come into English media as well like English music videos a lot so that's the only difference is that the the groups of people coming in there's more of a variety than there would be in Ireland I think yeah and definitely I think uh, like just in general like there's more variety but also there tends to be more kind of clubs than there is in Ireland as well so I guess that kind of speaks for itself in the sense that even if the culture itself might not be the most sex positive there's maybe more of a tolerance I guess of sex work in the sense that there are more clubs and and then there are in Ireland anyway like yeah. for, as a comparison definitely and there was more clubs in Ireland but they all got shut down um like mm. even I worked in Galway for a while and that ended up getting closed down and it wasn't um it wasn't nobody tried to shut it down that I know of it was just that uh, it was a bit outdated it hadn't been refurbished in years right. and I feel like you know um I I feel I was speaking to a friend about this that I used to work with I think that times are changing and a lot of people that opened clubs opened them in you know the early 2000s let's say Mm. where uh things were a lot different you know you didn't Mm -hmm. have social media presence the way you do now and you didn't have like as much online sex work happening so 
people really were able to hand out flyers and you know Mm -hmm. and people would just go but I feel like as the times are changing the advertising hasn't really changed for the right they're still kind of stuck back 20 years ago um and I've thought about it before I'd absolutely love to open a strip club and just have one a female perspective dancer's Mm -hmm. perspective and someone that is familiar with like social media marketing online and advertising you know like when you look at clubs in Australia or America they they keep changing they they keep evolving Mm -hmm. I feel like for here and even some clubs in England they're kind of just stuck in in the past (laughs) possibly like I, I think I've only been to one strip club in Dublin like and again it was that whole thing of like just on a night out and they just have people with flyers and I was just like Oh, I've never been to a strip club, so I'll go. And yeah, it was definitely, you could, like you said, it was kind of like the decor and everything was like almost like a throwback to like a bygone era. Like it was a, I think the name <laughs> of the club was Angels. It was just off oh. O'Connell Street, like very small, like, but it was also one of those ones that was free in as well, which I know aren't the best for kind of like treating their dancers well I don't know <laughs> um, but uh, I worked in a club in Dublin called Valentino's for a while and it was free in and it was actually a lovely club to work in the management mm. were nice but it was really hidden away and um, it was free entry so you just got people kind of wasting time in there I think yeah. it's good if they have to pay in because they're not just in there to drink then (laughs) (laughs) exactly they're not just in for like a pint while being able to look at glamorous women like it's more Mm -hmm. (laughs) you have to pay in so there's a like you know you have to justify coming in it's not a waste um yeah like um and actually there's like coming back to i guess uh you getting into like you know being a stripper like i was kind of like wondering like how much did uh like going into stripping pole sensual movement all the other terms that you're used but like how much did that kind of help you develop like a stronger kind of more positive relationship with your body um so there's a few things I want to just touch on if I can answer them yeah like separately so I started pole dancing before I started stripping and Mm -hmm. I never ever thought that I would work in a club or anything like that it just it just came down to it that I needed a job and I met someone that worked in a club and I thought okay I'll just give it a go like why not um but I think for me I was just starting to get in touch with uh like sensual movement with pole mm-hmm. because when I started um I was just so focused on learning how to do tricks and stuff like that mm-hmm. and I I was always really embarrassed to feel sexy or be sexy. I, I don't know. I just, or to even post anything online of me being sexy. I was like, God, that I, I'd be so embarrassed if anyone from school saw that. Like, <laughs> it's funny looking at, at my dancing now. But um, I think when I started working in the club and I saw like, you know, obviously dancing uh, in a club is totally different because mm-hmm. yes. you, you have to be sexy and sensual and, you're trying to get the attention of customers and stuff like that but I actually realized how much I enjoyed it you know like I picked stuff off uh I picked stuff off off other dancers as well mm-hmm. and you know especially women that learned how to pole dance in a club and not in a studio it's just it's so different and um 
it just I just stopped caring you know I feel like doing a job like stripping I just stopped caring about people's opinions or what they might think about me because it's like when you do something like that it's like I knew that I wanted to do it for me I was happy Mm -hmm. with the money I was making I was happy with the free time that I had I was happy with what I was doing with my free time and I was like I just don't care what anybody else has to say about it so Mm -hmm. after that I started posting more stuff you know more sexy stuff and now it's just second nature I don't even think about it or anything like that but with the um body confidence I would say that working in a club actually had the opposite effect okay um, because I feel like I never really uh thought about my body as much as I did when I was working in a club Mm-hmm. obviously I had my ups and downs of body confidence like everyone does yeah um but like even you know when I was younger and my weight would fluctuate and stuff it might bother me but not enough for me to like obsess over it so it'd be like oh I'll lose the weight whenever and I would like I've always kind of gone up and down and depending yeah. on how active I am and stuff like that but I feel like when you work in a club customers feel like they have the right to say whatever they want to you sometimes Mm -hmm. so it's like you know I gained some weight when I was working in the industry and it was like it was made very clear that everyone could see it everyone knew and like whether it was a oh I love curvy women or a why why don't you lose weight like people would literally be that blunt to come up to me and be like you know you'd be so much better looking if you just lost some weight and then you have all this stuff going around and around in your head so um it was a learning curve to try and not take everything so personally because it's like regardless of if it's a compliment or if it's uh, an insult it shouldn't really have that much of an impact on my life like who are these people to even you know make me think differently about myself and don't get me wrong like if you're not if you're having a day that you don't feel the best and someone says something like that it can be hard to snap back and let it go um I'm at a a point in my life now where I'm doing things for my body and my health because I want to and not because I feel Mm -hmm. like I should and having um such a break from working in the clubs has given me time to think about what I want what do I want to look like how do Mm -hmm. you know like I'm working out now and I'm eating better but I'm doing it for me and not for anyone else or not because I feel like I have to look a certain way to be at the club and even in saying that, it's so stupid to, to think that everyone should look the one way because everyone has a preference at the end of the mm-hmm. day. Like, you know, some people yeah. prefer women with curves or women who are slim or women who have fake boobs or, you know, it's so different. Like if we all look the same, there wouldn't be, you know, you don't get the, the same type of customer with the same preference coming in all the time. So <laughs> Exactly. And um, I think you kind of like, like touch on something there and it was like kind of something that kind of stood out to me when I was coming up with questions as well but it's there does seem to be a, particularly with a I guess a particular type of club but there does seem to be this kind of mentality or this idea of this is who we want our strippers or workers to look like and that's why I just love the inclusivity of taboo your own show that you do but also beanie's filthy friday show as well i'm loving that there's more of these fully inclusive of different bodies different genders like all colors these inclusive shows and they do seem to be growing and 
popularity. Do you think these type of shows, both online, but also once we go back to real life, <laughs> real life, <laughs> but do you <laughs> think these shows are kind of like the future of strip clubs? Or do you think there's always going to be, I guess, like a pushback from the status quo of how clubs currently function? I think it just depends on the club. Like, I tried out a few different clubs in England and one of the clubs that I went in, I immediately felt uncomfortable because everyone was blonde and a size six to eight with fake boobs. And I'm not that. So right, I still yeah. made money. I had a really good night. Don't get me wrong. Like I was like, wow, but maybe it's because I look different. I don't know. Mm. Um, but yeah, I was like, this isn't for me. Like I wouldn't be able to go in there every weekend and feel like I was sticking out so much. <laughs> but um, then the club that I worked in before lockdown was there was such a variety of women in there. And it was just really nice and refreshing to see like, you know, just women of different sizes different ages different races and mm -hmm. it, that that's somewhere that I personally would like to work um and when it comes to the the shows like Taboo and Filthy Friday which I, I love Filthy Friday so much and how inclusive it is and it's one of the shows that I'll always promote because I just love everything that Beanie stands for and she's so mm -hmm. lovely like she is a really genuine person that's not that's not fake that's her yeah um I do think that I think there's been a shift in mentality since the the pandemic hit. I think people are mm. really starting to get fed up of fake, not not fake, but like yeah, fake, but yeah. as well of this. Oh, we all have to look this way to be involved mm -hmm. in pole dance. Let's say, yeah. you know, when when I started pole dancing, every everyone that I could see was super skinny and super flexible and you know muscular mm -hmm. and. I kind of thought I thought that I wouldn't be able to pole dance when I went into it because I was like I don't have a dance background and I don't look like that and I mean as far as it goes I'm <laughs> I'm not like I wouldn't stand out too much you know it's like I just think people are really tired of having this image pushed on them all the time mm -hmm. and people are just wanting to feel more comfortable and to feel included and whether it's because of your size the color of your skin your sexual orientation like whatever it is I just feel like there's such a community now where people are feeling accepted and that's I just feel that there's been such a shift of people wanting to go towards that because it feels more sincere to me mm -hmm. and yes. it's not it's not like a, a club that you can't get into if you don't look one way so definitely I feel like that's the way forward and even with the pandemic people's bodies have changed a lot you know people aren't yeah. as busy a lot of people have gained weight which is fine you know like your body will do that when it's not as active but then you have all of this bullshit on social media of people being like oh I need to lose my lockdown weight and if that's what you want to do that's fine yeah I think I'm actively trying to lose weight right now for myself yeah. but having that pushed on you all lose the lockdown pounds and skinny tees and all day yeah. and it's just like you know what people are tired it's been a stressful <laughs> year so I think I think anything that's like not like doesn't make you feel bad and that you could see yourself you know a lot of people will look at shows like Taboo I hope and the likes of Filthy Friday and think I could perform there you know maybe one day I could perform there instead of looking at a show where the people look and feel untouchable that you're mm -hmm. never going to be at that level because some people will never be at that level you yeah. know 
people have different training, different backgrounds, different bodies, and and that's fine. You know, it's you can enjoy both. Exactly, one hundred percent. And you t- touched on there the whole like that social messaging of lose the lockdown weight, and it screams of the same type of uh, mentality of like, uh, oh, better be beach body ready, and it's just do you have a body? Go to the beach. <laughs> there, your beach. You're ready for the beach. Yeah, it's that simple. But it's just it feels like so insidious this type of constant barrage of messaging from society particularly mainstream society and we get it from media as well that if you don't look a certain way then you're not acceptable as a person and it's I do think there does seem to have been some form of like a shift away from that type of mentality over the course of the last year because the pandemic because the pandemic forced a lot of everyone to stand still for a while and it kind of like caused a lot of questioning what was things were like before but it still feels that type of mentality that messaging is still there how do you think do we shift away from that of just away from body negativity to not even full body positivity but just kind of body acceptance of just kind of like look your body is your body you don't have to love every bit of it at the same time but as long as you're not hating your body that's a win like how do you think we'll have that shift I think we need to just stop taking the media so seriously because even growing up um, you know when I was in primary school and secondary school even being skinny being very very skinny was the beauty standard Mm -hmm. like you had Christina Aguilera and you had Britney Spears and everyone is very skinny so I never felt attractive growing up I like even when I was wasn't overweight my Mm -hmm. body was still curvy and it was something that I was really embarrassed about like I was always trying to cover up my bum all the time I would never wear shorts Um, Mm -hmm. and another thing as well like this is just a side note but I always felt like sexualized as a young person because I had boobs and an ass so it was something that I was really shy about and trying to cover it up and it's only in the last few years that, you know, it's that's the body that everyone wants now. They want boobs and they want an ass. So everyone is getting Brazilian butt lifts and implants. Fine, if that's yeah. what you want to do. <laughs> but in five years from now, the beauty standard is going to be somewhere, something else. Like, So I think that the goal um, for me, and I think it should be for everyone, is to do things for you. Like, yeah. if that's what you want, if that's what you really, really want, if you if you've been subconscious that you've never had boobs or whatever it is and you mm-hmm. think hey I want to make that decision for me just do it for yourself lose weight yeah. for yourself gain weight for yourself do nothing accept your body the way it is all the time because if you're constantly trying to live up to these beauty standards that are just a money racket yeah. it's a way 100%. to sell things that you you don't need and it's a way to make you feel bad about yourself um is like everyone comes in a different shape or everyone looks different and there's no one way to look so it's like we just need to really embrace what we look like and it's hard it's not easy to try and tune out the media and all of these things that are thrown at us especially now with social media it's amplified so much more Mm -hmm. like when I was growing up it was just music videos and tv and uh magazines and now it's like everything everywhere every time you pick up your phone it's there this is what you should look like and you need to buy this so um I think I I read this 
uh, quote before and it was like um, something about how much the beauty industry relies on you hating yourself to sell products mm-hmm. and yeah. how, we, how we just shouldn't do that so <laughs> I think um, yeah we just need to try and tune it out and ignore it and just be happy and healthy and work on things because you want to and not because that's what the media is telling you is attractive and I think it's I would actually i I feel sorry for teenagers now. Yeah. Because, you know, even going on Instagram and you have all the face filters and stuff like and editing apps, like I think people are so used to not looking like themselves. Kind of it's sad that you people feel like they have to do certain things to be seen yeah. attractive. No, I completely agree. And I read a an article the other day like which was kind of like alarming saying and it does seem to be with social media that all this messaging definitely tends to affect women and femme folks more so than it does men and masculine folks just across the board but it was like this article was saying how girls as young as like 11 and 12 are already like digitally editing their faces to look different because there's just this idea of how people are supposed to look and the thing about social media is not everyone is kind of authentic in the sense they say this is an edited photo like they just kind of put it up there so no one really knows who looks like one way or what's edited and it's it's it just feels like there's no kind of winning and yeah no I completely agree with you that it really is we kind of just have to kind of get to a point of like tuning out a lot of that messaging and kind of just learning to only do things for ourselves and not because of the way we think we should look. And for myself, that's something that was like a new kind of radical shift for me in the sense that when I thought I was a cisgender man, I did everything based on, well, I'm a man. I should act this way, look this way. I should dress this, like everything was based on what the social image of a man is. And I was trying to live up to that. And I never could reach it because now I realized I was never a man. I just didn't know how to put words to that. And since I kind of accepted myself as non-binary, it it was like that, just like a light bulb, like a switch in the sense that now everything I do is for me because there's no, especially about non-binary, because we're there is no <laughs> archetype. <laughs> there is no, this is what non-binary looks like. It's whatever you want it to look like. So everything I do is for me. And it's a really it's been really kind of healing and a very radical shift. And I think particularly the one thing which I kind of relate to pretty much so many women is when it comes to makeup, is that whenever I do makeup, it's not because I want someone to like see me as attractive or anything like that. It's just because makeup is fucking fun and I love doing it. And that's the thing that so many women use makeup for is because they enjoy doing it. So like, how much does it like get on your nerves when you hear those arguments from a particular type of man online or in person, which is, oh, you don't need that much makeup for you. Like you look beautiful naturally and all this type of stuff. How how annoying is that for, for you as like a woman, as someone... <laughs> Um, I mean I'm not that big into makeup I have been doing my makeup the same way for like the last (laughs) nearly 10 years I haven't picked up any new skills I'm just like I like to do it this way and I don't keep up with trends or anything like that but just about what you said about like you know random men just having an opinion about anything to do with you it's like no one cares (laughs) no one asked (laughs) 
I just yeah. I, I feel like um, I just wanted to say as well I was hoping that you'd bring up um, being non-binary and I love your Instagram and one of the reasons why I love the content that you post is that it just seems like you just don't give a fuck what anyone thinks which I'm sure is very scary like I know that um, for me coming out as um, being gay and then coming out as being a stripper were both very scary things mm-hmm. because it was like how society was going to judge me and after a while I think the more confident I am in myself and just the more aware of nobody else's opinion matters um, I just really love when people just put out whatever they want and they wear what they want and they do what they want as you know as long as it's not harming anyone else yeah (laughs) it's it's so brave to do it in this society and you know I feel like there is a little bit more representation in the media but it's not yeah no it's it's definitely not the level it should be like there is representation the reason that I felt before I kind of even knew I was non-binary or accepted myself as non-binary but just even being someone who looks masculine but dressing femme the reason that I was that's actually something I can do is because I saw Jonathan Van Ness on Queer Eye. John, Jonathan like strutting in those heels and wearing fabulous dresses and skirts. I was like, and but also having like facial hair. And I was just, that's something I can do. And it's like, that's the thing about representation, how important it is just seeing a person like you, whether you're a person of color and seeing someone that looks like you, whether you're fat and seeing someone who looks like you, like whatever you're who you are as a person seeing someone who looks like you in the media is so transformative but um yeah it was like for myself like it was really kind of just like you know I'm never going to be able to be me if I'm worrying about how other people will react like mm-hmm. and like I think for myself purely because of like being someone who studied philosophy and all of that in college I think one of the things I've always been acutely aware of is you know the whole thing of we do only kind of have one life so it's like one of those things where it's I don't want to be a person who's in their 40s 50s and kind of looks back and goes all that wasted time of not being able to live the way I wanted to so and like that's not to say like there are some people who don't even realize that they are trans or queer until they're in their 40s because the thing is about past generations is so much of it was internalized homophobia internalized transphobia that it takes a lot of unpacking to get there so it's not that you know (laughs) your life is dead once you reach past 30 but it's more just Mm -hmm. like that was how I approached that decision for myself and yeah like don't get me wrong it is scary particularly less so online because like online is kind of like if someone makes a comment I'm just like I don't know this person they're just shouting words into the atmosphere I can kind of like let that brush off my back but it's more the in-person stuff especially when I first started dressing femme I went on a walk wearing with the first skirt I bought like in Dublin and the thing is well because of the middle of pandemic I had my mask on and at the time, I didn't have my beard as grown out. So it was kind of like more to my chin. So you couldn't see any facial hair. Uh, so I walked past the group of this Pete and I could just hear one, I'm assuming a man, because I don't know, but <laughs> one man um, kind of loudly proclaim in a joking manner to his friends, 
is that a man or a woman? And yeah, like those encounters in person, they're kind of the ones that are like, make it kind of like scary, you know, anytime before I step out the house. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, definitely. And I mean, like, but why does it matter to other people? Like I do get that in society, we are pushed a certain narrative. And I think it mm-hmm. has a lot to do with how you grow up, the kind of people you have yeah. around you and, and stuff like that. But it's kind of like, I feel like when you're an open-minded person, even if you do see something that you don't really understand, it, you know, it doesn't matter. It's like, I mean, I know that my opinion doesn't matter to somebody else. And yeah. it's like, why do I have that opinion? Yeah, it looks it might look different to anything that I've seen before. But, you know, it's like, and even when you were saying there, uh, you didn't want to look back in your life and realize that you hadn't lived it the way that you should or that, that you wanted to, like, even for me growing up, I grew up in a small town. I didn't yeah. know any lesbians. Well, I think there was, you know, one <laughs> one older lesbian that you'd see the odd time who had short hair and everyone knew she was a lesbian. But <laughs> besides that, like, it was something that I just denied for so yeah. long. And um, I, I wouldn't say I was ever homophobic. I had gay yeah. friends that were men. But um, when I met my first group of lesbians, I remember feeling really scared. <laughs> I, was at a, I was at a house party. This is how everything changed for me. I was at a house party and um, I had actually moved into this house in uh, uh, Wicklow. No, not Wicklow. It was just outside Dublin. <laughs> I moved into this house and three of the women living there were gay. And um, I worked with one of the other women and she was like, oh, you should come um, before you move in. And they're having a, a party. So like you get to meet everyone. And I remember just feeling so awkward, <laughs> all the female energy in the room. I was like, <laughs> kind of like, oh, I don't know why I feel weird. And then one girl came up to me and she was like, are you gay? And I was like, no. And she's like, you totally are. She was like, you just don't realize it yet. <laughs> and I was so offended I was like why would she say that to me I was like I am not a lesbian and then literally as the weeks unfolded I was like oh my god like how did I not know this and I was like you know I grew up with this idea in my head that I was going to meet a man have babies and get married and that was my life and it was like that idea that I had was just ripped apart in one moment Mm. of oh wait a second like life isn't the way that I thought that it would be and it's just crazy and it's I think um you know for me feeling kind of nervous around women who are openly out and gay it made me feel uncomfortable because I hadn't come to terms with it myself mm-hmm. and it wasn't that I was hiding it; I just literally yeah. hadn't I hadn't made that connection yet and it's, I think a lot of the times when people are you know homophobic and stuff like that it's like it's I think it can be ignorance but I think as well that they're just so afraid of their sexuality mm-hmm. you know yeah definitely and it is something that affects like uh, women loving women more so than any other gender is compulsory heterosexuality is that thing of you're socialized when you're a woman that straight is the default there isn't even the option that you could be like into mm-hmm. women it's like that is the default and that's why so many so many lesbians do kind of have that period of like 
dating men of having like because they believe they're straight and it can lead to a lot I've, of like trauma i've never had a boyfriend i've never had a serious boyfriend i dated guys i've slept yeah. with guys but um <laughs> i remember like the first relationship i was in with a woman everything just fell into place and it was mm. like wow like even like having sex i never enjoyed it because i wasn't fully attracted to the men and i didn't realize mm-hmm. It was like when I was with a woman for the first time, my mind just exploded. It was like, how did I not know this? <laughs> Why am yeah. I the last to know? <laughs> but but that really does, like it hits on such a strong point, with, which is the case that like so much of the messages that we get about sex is focused on men and male pleasure so into the point that as you said there's a lot of women who it takes them a while to actually realize that they are lesbian because of the fact that they assume sex is not supposed to be something that is enjoyable it's like supposed to be something that you just get through and so yeah I'm delighted that you were able to have that light bulb moment of everything settling Mm. into place I'm, I'm just like, like yay <laughs> even even what you said about like sex being like revolving around male <clears throat> pleasure like even you know in the porn industry like it is mm. for men and you know uh <laughs> I can't believe I'm talking about this I just don't care but I remember I was like oh my god I don't know how to have sex with a woman like what do I do and I was ta- I felt like a virgin again and I was talking to my friend who was straight and she was like you need to look up porn and I was like but it's all fake you know like all the lesbian porn was like straight women made for the pr- exactly <laughs> made for men and it was just like how do I find out <laughs> <laughs> but um no, that's, it's actually I was listening to a different podcast where the two like the the host is a woman and she had her guest on who was also a woman and they had that exact discussion of like the first time like it is something that a lot of women the first time they're with a woman they don't really know because again there's if we go back to the sex ed we get in schools if we get any yeah. sex ed it's How biologically it, exactly it's all about <laughs> penis and vagina any other forms of sex doesn't get included so like of course like it's something that would be very daunting and not really knowing what to do but that's why just when you're talking about like the way that porn is made like that's why and this is something that I could I'd probably sound like a broken record but it's literally I anytime I'm gonna get a chance to talk about it I will but that's why I love make love not porn and why Mm. I submit my own content for it purely because of the fact that the entire concept is basically not being anti-porn just understanding that porn is entertainment they're professionals putting on a show Mm -hmm. it's not real sex so understanding the difference between porn and real sex so make love not porn is about literally capturing your real life sex so whether that's your own solo pleasure whether it's a couple's their pleasure um threesomes moresomes all the that fun stuff make love not porn is basically does that it's kind of like showing that sex is healthy it can be really fun it can look so many different ways with so many different body shapes colors genders sexualities and yeah it's like kind of really comes from this perspective of 
we we share everything else in society but when it comes to sex that's considered the one thing that's supposed to be locked behind a bedroom door and you never talk mm. about it outside of the bedroom door and the fact that we don't talk about it is why so many people have unhealthy sex lives so that's why I'm part of that and why I'm going to talk about it every time but yes yeah. it is such an important thing to differentiate between what porn is and real sex and it's important as well that um like you said you get different uh you know you get to see how how you can have sex in different ways and you know real as well you have control over what you put yeah. out like I'm not anti-porn but I do like I'm aware that a lot of women have been taken advantage of a lot yeah. of younger women advantage of and exploited through porn um and then that's where young people are learning about sex now so yes. it's like you know it's with the stuff that's floating out there it's, it's not good and then young girls are having experiences that aren't good for them and they think it's normal and yeah. It's just, we need to talk about it more. We need to talk to younger people about it more. And the shame needs to be taken out of it because there's nothing shameful about it. It's a natural part of life. Exactly. And I think it puts people in very dangerous situations when they don't have the information. You know, like if, if younger people are more aware of what's okay and what's not okay. And when they learn about consent, then they're more likely to speak up or, you know, maybe not have, certain situations or you know tell someone if something happened so it's yeah. definitely important for more of those websites to be like spoken about I've never um subscribed to that myself but I do remember my friend telling me about it before um maybe I will in the future just at the minute I haven't really thought about it too much <laughs> but no you make such a good point there and it's like you said it's just we just have a problem where we don't talk about sex. It's literally, it's like something that just isn't talked about. And because we don't talk about sex, because we don't have good comprehensive sex education, which includes sex of all kinds and also includes the importance of consent and also emotional intelligence, being able to understand your emotions and your feelings and talk about those feelings, encouraging people to have those moments of vulnerability. Because we don't have any of that, that's why the only resource that so many young people have is porn. And like, it's free. And, and now it's more free. than ever. Free and stolen. People, <laughs> yeah, and young people have it at their fingertips. Like literally, it's, it's on your exactly. phone for free. Um, it's not like you know even in the 90s where you'd have to get a dvd or like not, not even a dvd a videotape <laughs> do you know what I mean it's like it's just so available and it's dangerous how available it is 100 and it's also it's that thing of like not only there's not good comprehensive sex education there isn't kind of media like porn literacy like that's not taught either as in people aren't being told this is what porn is like it's not it doesn't reflect real sex it's a show it's professionals putting on a show that's what it is and yes as well like you said there are massive problems within the porn industry as well and there are a lot of people who do get taken advantage of and I think the reason is is because of the entry age like the entry age for porn is 18 that's to me, that just seems to be very young to be able to kind of make those decisions. One thing just about your own sex and sexuality, but also just kind of about your future as well. Like, so I kind of think 
for entering the adult industry, it should be at least minimum 21 to kind of give mm. that extra bit of maturing, like as a person of being able to make that decision. Um, but yeah, there's just, it's almost like two sides of the same coin, as in people just like to scapegoat porn as the reason that people have unhealthy sex lives. Well, no, that's not the case. The reason people have unhealthy sex lives is because of the fact that we don't talk about sex at all and people don't know how to talk about sex Mm -hmm. and they use porn as that's the only avenue they have. So porn gets scapegoated as the reason that there's bad sex. And then on the other side, it's the same thing with sex work, as in the reason that survival sex work exists and like of of any kind of sex work but that particular one the reason it exists is because of massive poverty and class issues mm-hmm. but people will ignore that and just kind of scapegoat it as being sex work exists because there are people with faulty morals taking advantage of other people and it's like no there's systems in place that are causing this and i think it's just a lot of people just refusing to kind of acknowledge what's really going on and Mm -hmm. I think the one kind of like last kind of like main kind of question which um I kind of like had and I was wondering what you kind of think about it as someone who is in the sex work industry how does a marginalized community like strippers and sex workers deal with systemic issues like say racism fat phobia transphobia how does like a marginalized community because that's the thing sex workers are already marginalized how does a marginalized community like that deal with those kind of systemic issues like how do you kind of move past it as an like as an overall industry to kind of be more inclusive um i don't think that i have all of the, the information yeah no I, I never, <laughs> that's a very broad no, question no. <laughs> but I'll, I'll never experience stripping as yeah, a black true. person uh a fat person even though my size is considered fat sometimes in the strip club world <laughs> a trans person do you know what I mean like I can only navigate it as myself um, yeah but I think when it comes down to it is we just need uh we need more diverse management we need more diverse mm-hmm. clubs we need more um we need more forward-thinking people in charge and I think when it comes to clubs now, um, in some cases, like I was saying earlier, we just need to come out of, you know, 2001 and realize that we're now in 2021. <laughs> and um, I feel like even having more women in power of clubs would be a mm-hmm. really great move. We need more dancers running clubs because we know how they work. Um, yeah, okay, men know what men like, but at the same time, it's like, you know, being a dancer, you see all aspects of the club, you know how to make money, you see what's working and what's not working. And I think it's really important as well for uh, people with privilege to speak up for those who don't. Yes. Um, And when it comes to racism or uh, transphobia or anything like that, like I'm really passionate about people just not being discriminated against and not being left out and it really annoys me to hear stories like that I I have worked in clubs in Ireland where we've had um, a lot of diverse dancers of different sizes Mm -hmm. different colors and it's never been an issue Um, but then clubs in Ireland are a lot smaller to even imagine how exhausting it is to be already marginalized and then entering 
yeah. um, the sex work industry of being mar- marginalized again. So, um, yeah, I think that is the way forward is to have more diverse clubs. And uh, if you have privilege, you should speak up and use it. If you have a platform, you should use it for good because I think especially like the last year, um, so much has happened and so many people have been sitting at home looking at their phones and I've seen a lot of, uh, well, not everyone, but for a lot of people, there's been a shift in consciousness as well. Mm-hmm. Um, people are realizing, you know, like the systems in place sometimes don't always work. And we've seen a lot of blatant racism and a lot of stuff has been happening with clubs being shut down. And it's just been a lot. Um, it's one thing that I do try and do, like, is just share things that I think are important. Um, and even with the taboo show, I do try and hire as many different kinds of dancers as possible because one I personally don't I don't think that the show would be half as interesting as it is if everyone looked the same um but I do try and give um space for people of different backgrounds so that we have more people coming together and more representation for everyone Oh, 100%. Like, that's what like, I love about you know, following you on social media because, as you said, like, you bring attention and awareness to a lot of issues that are going on. Like, you're, you use your platform for good. <laughs> it's, like a, it's like a superpower. And also as well, yes, um, Taboo is just a fantastic, breathtaking experience to be as someone attending it because there's so an array of different types of dancers and it's wonderful. So I think before I close up, um, there's kind of, I kind of am starting, I'm ending the podcast with three uh, questions each time. And because I love like the different answers that I get. So the first one, um, again, even if nothing comes to mind, that's also fine. But um, because my podcast is called Fishnets and Philosophy, the first question that I want to ask is when you hear the word philosophy, what comes to mind, if anything <laughs> comes to mind? Um, uh, <laughs> philosophy is kind of questioning everything isn't it it's like questioning life and why yeah things exist. like 100% yeah like the academic study of it like it kind of like comes down to like the pursuit of absolute truth and yeah questioning the world questioning everything so yeah that's like what philosophy is and what like I'm trying to do with my podcast is that I, I just genuinely believe everyone is naturally philosophical in the sense that like if anyone's kind of curious about the world like you know anyone who questions the systems that are in place and tries to enact change that's being philosophical that's like living a philosophical life like that's what I think and that's what I'm trying to bring awareness to so yes that's a great answer so next question is right now at the moment what is something that's like giving you joy something that you're joyful about um I'm really enjoying the different online classes that are happening mm-hmm. um I do miss in-person classes and having yeah. like social interaction but it's been really fun for me to be a student and take classes with people in different countries that I wouldn't have had the opportunity to yeah. do like even with people setting up patreons and stuff like that and um and then I love teaching people that I would never have had the opportunity to teach as well so even though it's been a tough year yeah. for a lot of different reasons, like there has been some things that have happened that, you know, might not have happened if we didn't go through all of this. So um, definitely the online shows, the online um, classes are great. Can't wait for live events. 
to be honest. Mm-hmm. But I'm I'm a homebody. I really like being at home. I like my own space. So the fact that I can have more things available to me in my own house <laughs> has been really fun. <laughs> Well, that's great and that's a wonderful answer and yes I do think like the connectivity of like being able to connect with people in other the fact that you're in the UK and I'm able to have you on my podcast like you know this being able to connect because of the internet during a pandemic is a very fantastic thing and the last kind of main question is what's something that you're hopeful for something that's given you hope or that you're hopeful to see happen particularly kind of post-pandemic like something that you maybe like to see permanently change or something that you're just is giving you hope um I think that this year just um I don't know if I'm even answering this question right but it's what it's what came to mind but I think this year has just made me realize how strong I am, like with different things, like so much has happened with, you know, being out of work, being in a new country, um, missing friends and family and, you know, just stuff like that. It's like, I feel like when we get back to normal, if we ever get back to normal, it's like if I can get through this year, (laughs) I feel like I will just be so much more able and confident when I get a challenge thrown my way, like. I think compared to the pandemic, anything that's thrown my way now is just so manageable and small. And I do think like, it's hard when you're in the, you know, when you're in in the dumps with things that are happening. Mm. But I've always, always, for as long as I can remember, I've always told myself, you look back at this and, you know, when you think that you're never going to get past something, I've always told myself, you will you're going to look back at this in a few months and a few years and you'll see how everything worked out so it's just one thing that I've always done to like keep the faith of like it's going to be fine um but yeah definitely it's just it's made me stronger as a person for sure like I've had moments where I've been like oh I don't know like how I'm going to manage or survive this but like definitely I've um, I feel like I've grown up a lot this year and it's Mm -hmm. weird to say that as a 28 year old woman I'm nearly 29 but I feel like I've done a lot of growing mentally this year. Um, yeah. I think a lot of us have been forced to do that. Like when the world stops and you have to sit with yourself, <laughs> like I've um, definitely matured a bit more. Yeah, no, I can definitely uh, relate to aspects of that in the sense that, yeah, like I've definitely been for myself as well, become like, I guess more stronger in myself but also yeah like more able to kind of like take on kind of mm-hmm. what is thrown my way because the pandemic has forced, <laughs> forced I, I, didn't, I didn't think it was possible but I actually give less fucks about everything now like <laughs> I've kind of been like that for years but like I honestly could not give <laughs> one fuck about anything <laughs> <laughs> or anyone that is not immediately in my life and that I love I just <laughs> don't care (laughs) it's a nice feeling (laughs) yeah being able to just kind of be like you know what my fucks have run away I don't they've gone it's it's, it is a nice perspective (laughs) just being like yeah they're just and yeah I think that's a wonderful place to kind of wrap things up and so before I let you go just is like where do you want to like kind of like plug where you're on social media plug maybe your show and where people can find you if you want to be found (laughs) yeah so you can find me on Instagram it's my name Ava Hennessy with two y's um so Ava 
B-A-H-E-N-N-E-S-S-Y-Y. That's my new account because Instagram <laughs> fucked my last account. Um, and Difficult. you can find, yeah, <laughs> and you can find Taboo Pole Show on Instagram as well, um, where we'll have information on our upcoming events, whether they're live or online. Um, depending on how things go, maybe we'll have one soon. But if things are starting to open up, then maybe we'll aim for a live event. I'm not sure yet, but um, yeah, that's about it for my social media. <laughs> <laughs> wonderful. Well, thank you so much for coming on. It's been wonderful having you as a guest on the show, and it's been a wonderful conversation. Hello, listener. Thank you for coming on this journey with me. If you would like to be there for the next stop on this adventure then please like, subscribe and review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Follow my Instagram, which is mixbellmorrigan. That's M-X-B-E-L-M-O-R-R-I-G-A-N. And tell your friends that you too want to help make the world a better place, one conversation at a time.